Hi there. Before we start today's episode of Growing Pulse Crops, I have a small but very important request of you. Please, if you don't mind, just hit pause for a few minutes to take our audience survey. The link for that is at the very top of the show notes of the episode. You see, this show is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, and they need to know if their money is going to good use. Also, producer Dr. Audrey Kalisle and myself as the host would like to know how we can make it more valuable for you. So please take just a few minutes right now, click that link for the survey in the show notes, and give us your feedback. It's really very much appreciated. Okay, now on with the show. This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on episode 13 of season two. I think pulse crops have a very unique and distinct place when it comes to livestock feed. They certainly provide a high quality forage and a high protein grain that I think has a lot of value in the livestock industry. Dr. Zach Carlson joins the show. Zach is the North Dakota State University Extension Beef Cattle Specialist based in Fargo. He recently just started that position in June after finishing a master's and PhD at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, focused on animal nutrition. Now his extension appointment in North Dakota is 70% on the extension side and 30% research, and he's getting started on figuring out where that research focus needs to be. Today's episode explores where pulses fit into a cattle ration. I know some growers might be considering haying peas, lentils, or chickpeas due to the drought conditions, so we talk a lot about forage quality. We also talk about where pulses themselves might fit into a cattle ration and how that works from a relative value standpoint. But we're going to start with a topic that's unfortunately on the top of a lot of people's minds these days, and that is drought. Certainly drought is not a new novel thing uh, for producers throughout the United States, but it's a bit more challenging this year because of the severity here in North Dakota, as well as some higher feed prices. And so combating high corn price in pair with low hay production has decreased hay available and increased the price for it. So there are a lot of people considering options. Unfortunately, one of the first ways people started to uh, combat the drought was through culling and downsizing the herd. So we've seen some movement there through the sale of barns up here. I think people are considering, I saw some corn this past weekend getting cut and thrown through a bind. And I imagine it's in some fashion being put up as dry stover. So been a lot of different strategies. There certainly isn't one answer to get through this drought. It comes through many different tools. One of the tools in the toolbox under these conditions could be considering pulses for grazing or even for feed. We'll talk about both of those in today's episode, but first, Zach's going to set the scene for us by giving us a little bit of background on pulse crops in ruminant diets. A lot of the pulse crops, field peas particularly, go into uh, uh, pet food as well as human. However, those that don't make grade, much like other crops, can become you know potential uses in livestock feed. And so I would say the core work that's been done a lot with field peas, but some in chickpeas and lentils as well, uh, was around 2010, a little bit before that, 2005, 2010. 
And then uh, there's just been, you know, as things change, as we very well know, over every five to 10 years, you know, markets are in favor or or are not of certain commodities. And so those discussions around pulse crops kind of kind of come in and come out. And so looking at feeding value of those grains themselves, but then there's also been good work done on uh, grazing uh, these legumes for forage. And we'll talk at length about pulses for forage, but I wanted to start by getting a better understanding of where pulses themselves could fit into a cattle ration. Zach says they have a lot to offer if the relative price is right when compared to other options for protein and energy. So pulse crops are kind of unique and and cool in the sense that they're going to be providing about 20 to 25% crude protein, the grain itself. And um, that's pretty different from corn. Corn is going to be at that 8 to 10% protein level and vice versa. Corn is going to provide around 60% starch of the dry matter grain and pulse crops will probably provide around 30 to 35% starch. So really what they're actually doing is they're more providing a protein as well as some energy coming from that. So they kind of fit right in between an energy substrate such as corn or wheat or barley or oats and maybe some distillers, uh, so some canola meal, some soybean meal, distillers grains that kind of fit right in between there. But more so, uh, you're going to see the inclusions be catering towards meeting the protein requirement of the animal, but as well as being able to provide additional energy too. So what does that look like from a practical standpoint? I mean, how much corn and protein can be replaced with these pulse crops? Well, Zach says depending on a number of factors, up to 30% of corn and some protein can be replaced with, say, for example, a rolled pea. Yeah, uh, a lot of the work has been done in growing diets, replacing uh, between 10 and 30% of uh corn primarily, but then you can also back off whatever protein source you're providing too. So balancing that diet, but you're able to reduce uh, whatever protein source you have in that diet as well as as some of the corn. So by bringing in those pulses, you kind of can lower both of those a little bit, but certainly most of the work's been done around 10 to 15% of the dry matter of the diet being replaced and including pulse crops in that way. And I say grower diets just because you're dealing with that younger animal, that four to 500 pound calf has the highest protein requirement that they'll have, you know, as, as we can imagine uh, with any animal growing quite a bit of demand for protein. And so that younger calf's going to definitely need more protein. So when we get into finishing diets and maybe those animals are a little heavier, a little beyond that highest protein requirement or that protein requirement, you'll end up maybe seeing them between 10 and 20% in finishing diets. Again, being a protein source, but also providing a little bit of that energy. But uh, back to your question about producers raising these crops and how they can integrate their livestock into them. On the grain side, in terms of processing, you know, there's, there's research out there and good work done on, does this need to be crowned? Does it need to be rolled? Or can we feed it whole? And they do see some improvement relative to feed efficiency by rolling the peas. So, or, and I'm speaking primarily in field peas with the research that's been done on this lentils and chickpeas, there hasn't been as much work done and, and for beef cattle diets, but the most prominent research has been done in field peas uh, for pulse crops. And so either green or yellow, but uh, processing is really more important primarily for uniformity of the diet. Uh, It doesn't have a little improvement, but there's a cost associated with that processing. So 
if you're going to be supplementing um, maybe yearlings while they're grazing or if you're going to supplement cows as a way to incorporate a little more protein, say, while a cow is maybe with calf and has that lactation requirement, processing wouldn't be necessary by any means. Um, but as you increase that inclusion, maybe into higher levels at 25, 35% of the diet, we might want to consider uh, rolling it and incorporating that into the diet that way. Zach said when it comes to processing, there isn't a lot of benefit to grinding the pulses to include in a ration. They can be fed whole, but processing them through a roller mill is ideal. Now, as we talk about protein and using pulses as an ingredient to displace other protein ingredients, Zach says it's really important to remember that not all protein is degraded the same way in the digestive process of a ruminant. Not all protein is, is created equal. So when we talk about crude protein, there's actually two fractions of protein when we talk about feedstuffs, and that's rumen degradable protein and rumen undegradable protein. So rumen undegradable protein, maybe you might hear it referred to as bypass protein. And so um, distiller's grains has been well known for being a source of protein that has high rumen undegradability. So around 60% of distiller's grains of the protein itself. So we're talking 30% crude protein distiller's grains. 60% of that protein is actually bypasses rumen degradation. So it isn't accessible to those microbes, which means then uh, it's available for the animal to utilize for its own purposes. Because as we know with rumen animals, we're feeding that that microbial population first and then the animal second. And so in the symbiosis between those is, is a great way, you know, for ruminant animals to utilize some, you know, of grasses and things with uh, high cellulitic content and be able to actually benefit from that by yielding some energy compounds coming from the fermentation, you know, of the microbes. So it's a, it's a great relationship that they carry, but backing it up to protein again. So we have to feed the microbes, essentially, they get first access to these feeds. Well, pulse crops are primarily rumen degradable protein. So values kind of vary between 70 to 90% of the protein is degraded or degradable in the, in the rumen. And so in that sense, then, you know, as you talk about increasing the inclusion of pulse crops and increasing the protein content of the diet, you're going to see impacts from primarily replacing if corn is your energy substrate, you're going to be observing maybe lowering average daily gain from a result of lowering the energy content before you're going to see any negatives coming from the protein side of the diet. So certainly isn't too much to be concerned about increasing uh, protein content coming from pulse crops, but something to be aware of. So, you know, there's plenty of, of diets out there that were utilizing 40, even maybe more percent of the diet was distillers grains and distillers would be 30 or so percent protein. And so at those levels, when you talk about that much, you know, you're talking about quite a bit of protein. And so uh, looking at field peas, lentils, chickpeas, we certainly wouldn't even be approaching those levels. But yeah, it's, it's very doable to increase. But again, you're going to be replacing that corn or that higher starch with something that's slightly lower in starch. So it's a, it's a great go-between, right, for energy and protein. 
So I realize that this is getting a little bit technical, but I, I think part of the takeaway here is that pulses can be used to replace ingredients for both protein and energy in cattle rations if the relative value is in line. Zach said a hot topic lately, though, has been producers asking about the forage value of various crops, including pulses, given the tough weather conditions. So just a quick warning, in the next clip, you're going to hear Zach mention TDN, which stands for Total Digestible Nutrients. So the sum of all of the digestible fiber, protein, lipid, and carbohydrates in a feedstuff. We're getting a lot of questions about a lot of crops at this point in time, just because insurance adjusters have been making their ways through a lot of producers' fields, and and some things just aren't aren't going to make it this year in particular. There certainly is a lot of potential for forage purposes, whether you're grazing them or harvesting them. Is hey, you know, like most legumes, they provide on the forage side high levels of protein themselves. So. You know, those hays can be harvested and providing somewhere in the range of 15 to 20% protein. So high quality, high protein hay, as well as, you know, a fair TDN value. You know, if, if you go off that somewhere, you know, around that 60, 65% TDN. So really a high forage uh, capacity for these different you know, forages at this time. So we haven't gotten a lot of questions as to whether, you know, field peas or lentils have, have made it through. And certainly at this time of year, as a plant matures, forage quality will decrease as carbohydrates are put into the seeds and, and the grain. So as we increase in maturity, that forage quality declines. But even if you consider and take soybeans, for example, uh, those were at one point in time a forage crop before they were an oilseed crop. So things along those lines within the legume family are certainly high in, in forage value. So for a frame of reference, I asked Zach to compare the forage value of pulses to the value of, say, alfalfa. And he's going to talk in terms of neutral detergent fiber or NDF and acid detergent fiber or ADF, which for the purposes of this podcast, you just need to know are indicators of forage quality. So alfalfa would be, you know, ranging between um, maybe 14, 15, up to 20 or more percent crude protein and have that TDM value of around 65%. If people are operating on relative feed value, which is an equation that takes into consideration basically the content of and what the fiber is, uh, neutral detergent fiber and acid detergent fiber, NDF and ADF as they are, very similar to the components of alfalfa. And so, you know, there's been some numbers at, at fairly high relative feeding value for maybe between 130 and 140 on those marks for some of the, the literature that's out there. But considering pulses for a feed or a forage requires more than just understanding the relative feed value. There are other concerns as well, one of which is the amount of nitrates that can be found in forage. You know, I don't think it's something probably very common, but if, you know, there's producers out there considering instead of harvesting these pulse crops, grazing them, just one note to ensure that the producers are aware of nitrate concerns when it comes to grazing. So as we know, pulse crops, legumes, 
take that nitrate in and then convert it to nitrite. And then they're going to go ahead and convert nitrite into ammonia. Well, when they do that, the plant themselves, you know, they're fixing that ammonia so that they can uh, incorporate it as protein for the plant themselves. Well, the same thing happens in the rumen uh, for cattle, and that's taking in nitrates through forages. Well, then the microbes will convert that nitrate to nitrite. And then at that point, that nitrite is actually what builds up. It's a slower process to be converted from nitrite to ammonia. And so through that, you end up having a buildup of nitrite that can then be transferred into the bloodstream. Nitrite will actually take hemoglobin in your blood and prevent it from being able to bind with oxygen. So it converts it to methemoglobin. And so that animal is working towards asphyxiation by limiting the capacity of oxygen. So anyway, that was probably more than needed to be said about that. But nitrates are a concern when it comes to grazing pulse crops. And so it's just something to be aware of. It's definitely manageable. Nitrates are higher in concentration at the ground level. So uh, moving up the stalk of the plant, nitrates get less. So they're more concentrated right at the base of the, of the stalk. And so not forcing cattle to consume all parts of the plant, having a light stocking right helps with that as well as not grazing when the forage is wet. So in the mornings on dew, limiting that and then uh, making sure your cattle aren't hungry when they go out to these fields. So filling them up with some type of forage several days in advance so that they're not consuming so much at the front because really it's just giving time for those microbes to take that nitrate and convert it to nitrite and then again nitrite to ammonia. So just any way possible to slow that down. Um, so just something to be aware of, but but certainly uh, grazing these these forages is an option as a tool. Now, in order to make sure you don't have this problem with nitrates, Zach said the best action is just to make sure you send a sample to a lab to get it tested. I highly encourage people, particularly in drought years, any stress to the plant, whether that be a frost, as we know, sometimes plants can have higher spikes in nitrates following frosts, but also a drought increases it. So anything that really slows essentially the growth of the plant down, because those nitrates are still being pulled into that plant, even if they're suffering through drought. And so, yes, you can go and I would encourage anyone listening to this that, that's interested in something like this, reach out to their county extension. Those people can help you with that. But yes, take a sample of, of fresh pulse crop and be able to submit it and send it in to get a nitrate analysis. And then once you figure that out, you can kind of form a plan. If you're going to harvest it as hay, you know, even if you have higher nitrates, uh, depending on what that level is, you can still harvest that crop and then just plan to dilute that forage with other low nitrate forages and be able to kind of blend those in. Again, anytime you can slowly introduce this higher nitrate to those microbes that are in that rumen, the better off you are. And then through grazing, you can still supply a little bit additional energy and that'll actually help those microbes convert the nitrite to ammonia. But uh, certainly test your forages so you know what you have. And then you can kind of start planning how you're going to graze and you can start grazing the lower nitrate fields first. And that will help the animal and the microbes particularly adjust to those nitrates as you work your way through those other nitrate fields. Now, what we've been talking about so far has been using the pulse crop for a forage rather than harvesting it. But what about those producers that want to harvest a crop and then just maybe graze the residue? 
Well, Zach said there still can be value in that approach. No, if you consider, you know, what we can do with uh, other crops, you know, after post-harvest, um, corn stalks or or even soybeans, you know, certainly pulse crops fit right in there with um, once harvesting coming back through and taking what's left, um, you know, uh, is kind of going back to what we were talking about with the relationship between microbes and uh, uh, the ruminant animal is even low quality or what we call low quality, whether that's 50 percent TDN is uh, still can be utilized depending on the physiological stage of your of your cow herd or whatever you're trying to utilize it as. It still has value even in say finishing diets and a low inclusion. Most finishing rations will include a forage between five to ten percent, maybe a little more of the diet. And those forages can be low quality forages because it's really just trying to help provide a little bit of that forage of that structure that occurs in the rumen. So in finishing diet certainly, but then cows can also utilize it as long as, you know, at that point now we're talking about something that doesn't have as much crude protein. So there's going to be some supplemental protein required uh, while feeding some of these pulse crops after harvesting the grain itself. But yeah, definitely uh, carry some value and would be considered, I suppose, somewhere probably greater than wheat straw, which uh, a lot of people incorporate into uh, diets as well. Well, this has been a great episode on a different topic from our normal subjects on the show. But before I let Zach go here, I wanted to give him a chance to leave with just one more message for pulse crop producers when it comes to incorporating livestock. My message would be that I think pulse crops have a very unique and distinct place when it comes to livestock feed. They certainly provide a high quality forage and a high protein grain that I think has a lot of value in the livestock industry. And much like a lot of other commodities, they have a lot of value in other uh, sectors. And so human, as we talked about, and pet food. And so obviously there's a valuable product there. And I really think, you know, considering how some of these might fit into a livestock diet and work through that are something pulse crop producers should consider in, in working with maybe an integrated system or getting to know someone that has livestock and incorporating them in in some type of grazing situation and incorporating livestock back on a farm is has much benefit to both the crop producer as well as the livestock producer. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Zach Carlson, NDSU Extension Beef Cattle Specialist for being on the show. Definitely a lot of great information there on the feed and forage value of pulses. If you'd like to learn more on that, I recommend you visit the NDSU Extension website, and we'll put a link for that in the show notes. You can also reach out to Zach directly with any questions. Now, speaking of links in the show notes, please, if you didn't at the top of the show already, take a few minutes to complete our audience survey. As I said, this show is made possible by our generous sponsors, and we want to let them know that their money is going to good use. Also, producer Dr. Audrey Kalal and I would both like to know how we can make it more valuable to you. So whether this has been your first episode or your 20th you've listened to, please, either way, take a few minutes now and click the link in the show notes for that survey in order to give us your feedback. We very much appreciate it. 
This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, as well as the North Central IPM Center and USDA NIFA. We're releasing these episodes every other week throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure that the information is relevant to you. So please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions and make sure you take the survey by using the hashtag growing pulse crops. And we'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.